Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going out there? Good. How are you doing at home? Great. Glad to hear that you're doing well at home, too. Maybe you can uh, comment there what's going on today, how you're feeling. Uh, We would love to engage with you uh, that way. So I'm... um, It's about 12 p.m. It's about 95 degrees. And my friend Jim and I are just pulling into Las Vegas, about to head into the Mojave Desert. And there's a problem. My air conditioning stopped working. So let me repeat that. It's 12 p.m. We've just pulled into Vegas. We're about to head through the Mojave Desert. It's 95 degrees, and my air conditioning has stopped working. So I'm beginning to talk myself up and sort of get prepped for this, trying to get mentally tough to endure what's going to be four or five hours of misery. And uh, and I say to my friend Jim, like, okay, Jim, this is going to be a harrowing experience. You ready? This is actually, uh, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be miserable. We're going to be like five hours of sweating profusely. It's already 95. We haven't even gotten to the heart, the hot part yet. And I'm beginning to think, well, as long as we drink enough water, like we will actually survive. We won't die. It will just be miserable on this drive through the Mojave Desert at one or two in the afternoon with no air conditioning. And my friend Jim says, Peter, do you think that it's possible that God would miraculously fix your air conditioning. This is kind of how Jim is. And uh, as I said, yeah, Jim, uh, like all things are possible with God. So, of course, it's possible that God could miraculously fix my air conditioning. And I'm also thinking in the back of my head, I knew that my AC was kind of going out, like it wasn't working really well. But, you know, around here in Huntington, it's not really that big of a deal. So, I, you know, I sort of knew that it, it, it wasn't going to be working all that well. I didn't expect that it would be working zero. But uh, I'm like, I mean, I guess he could fix the air conditioning, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure that he's really interested in doing that at this point in time. And so my friend Jim says, well, do you think we should, like, just ask? Like, sure. Got nothing else going on. Sitting in the car for the next four or five hours. Going to be miserable. Why don't we pray that God would somehow miraculously fix my air conditioning? Great, great idea, Jim. You pray. So he prays, dear God, please fix our air conditioning. Amen. I think that was how the prayer went. And uh, so then, you know, we're hungry. And so he looks up on Yelp and finds um, uh, a Thai restaurant that has really good reviews because what sounds better on a hot day without air conditioning than Thai food, right? I don't know. So we go to this Thai place, and I mean, it's like it has really good Yelp reviews, but it's one of those places when you get there, you wonder why it has such good reviews. The windows are barred up. Like it's in a, it kind of looks like a dump. It's in a really sketchy looking neighborhood. 
So we pull up to this Thai restaurant, and wouldn't you know what was right next to that Thai restaurant? An auto mechanic. And wouldn't you know that in big, bold letters on a giant poster on the front of this auto mechanic shop, it says, get cold AC now. Like, but it's Saturday, probably not open, right? So we go into the Thai restaurant, we sit there, and, and eventually I have to face the reality, and I say, Jim, I, I think I need to go ask the car mechanic next door. He's like, yeah, I think you do. So I went next door. They're open on a Saturday. I'm like, hey, do you guys think you could have a look at my air conditioning? Sure, no problem. We'll have a look at it right away. I'm like, great, because we're just we're passing through town. We're about to drive through the desert, and it's pretty miserable. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, okay, this this guy is gonna like, you know, he's gonna make this hurt because he knows we're desperate, right? So this is gonna be a very expensive air conditioning fix. He says, no problem. We'll have uh, we'll have a look at it. We'll get it all fixed up. It'll be 99 bucks. Like, seriously, 99 bucks, just a typical, like, charger AC uh, thing. So I'm like, okay, great. I'm still not quite convinced. Like, we'll be next door eating in the Thai place that looks like a jailhouse. And, uh, and then I'll be back in a little bit. So we came back after about a half an hour or so. Air conditioning fixed, frigid cold air blasting on us all the way across the Mojave Desert. Peter, do you think it's possible... In other words, do you have faith that God could actually help us in this situation? Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Now, he doesn't pull any punches here. He just kind of says what, uh, how it is. Who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. I mean, he just calls a spade a spade. Why does Paul call them out for being, quote, so foolish? Why does he do that? It's so foolish what the Galatians have done that Paul actually rhetorically asks them, look, has somebody bewitched you? I mean, I can't even comprehend how foolish this is. Somebody must have cast a spell on you to make you do something so stupid. They've abandoned the real gospel. Jesus Christ crucified is the gospel. And the Galatians know this. They know that this is what the gospel is. But sometimes the wisdom of the world gets the best of us. And it was getting the best of the Galatians. They knew that the real gospel was grace for the undeserving and forgiveness for the sinner and freedom for the captive. But the wisdom of the world began to convince them that there's no such thing as a free lunch. What goes around comes around, and you get what you deserve. This is the wisdom of the world. The thing is, in God's economy, you do actually get what you don't deserve. But it's very difficult to live in reference to God's economy when every other economy in the world is telling us a different message, working in an opposite direction. You know, the Galatians, they weren't the only ones in the early church who had been fooled by the wisdom of the world. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about this very same thing. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The real gospel of Jesus Christ crucified is foolishness to those who are perishing. I want to ask three simple questions as we walk through some aspects of this scripture reading. Questions that I think Paul likely had in mind when he wrote chapter 3 of his letter to the Galatians. Three questions. First of all, what is the gospel? Secondly, what does the gospel offer? And third, what does the gospel require? Super simple. What is the gospel? What does the gospel offer us? And third, what does the gospel require of us? John Stott wrote in his commentary on Galatians, he said, The gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Jesus. The gospel is not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. It is not a demand, but an offer. The good news is that Jesus Christ was crucified, he was hung on a tree, and he became a curse on our behalf. It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The heart of the gospel is not an announcement about the birth of Jesus. The heart of the gospel is not so much about Jesus' perfect life, lived it as, a, as an example for us to follow. The heart of the gospel is not a collection of wise teachings by Jesus, nor is it a movement of care for the downtrodden. The heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. And that is foolishness when you measure it in accordance with the world's wisdom. Paul explains this in verses 10 through 14. He says that all who rely on the works of the law for righteousness are under a curse because it's impossible to be justified or to be made righteous through obedience to the law. Paul says it's evident that nobody is justified by the works of the law because it's evident that nobody can actually obey all of the works of the law. The situation, Paul says, is desperate. It's like a teacher who gives you an exam that you must pass in order to pass the class, but the exam is impossible to get a passing grade on. Cursed. Doomed. But in verse 13, we're told the heart of the gospel that on the cross, Jesus removed this curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Basically, Jesus took the exam on our behalf. He aced it. And then the A is going to appear on our transcripts. Pretty sweet, huh? Maybe a better analogy than an exam is actually uh, more like an entrance exam, say, to law school that you could never pass. Now, I could never actually pass a real LSAT or uh, an exam to get into law school. But imagine a version of the LSAT that nobody could pass that was so difficult that not even the finest student could pass it. But Jesus takes it on your behalf, aces it. And not only do you get an A on this exam, but much more importantly, you are given entrance into a whole new life. 
The good news is that Jesus was crucified, that he hung on a tree, and that he became a curse for us. He took the exam, and the A appears on our transcript. Listen to John Stott again. I'm going to repeat myself. The gospel is not good advice to men or women, but good news about Jesus. It is not an invitation to us to do anything, but it is a declaration of what God has already done. It is not a demand. It is an offer. So what does the gospel offer? That's our second question. What does the gospel offer? In short, according to Galatians 3, the gospel offers us a twofold blessing. It's a twofold blessing of righteousness and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. Righteousness and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. Listen to this. Paul appeals to Abraham to explain this offer of righteousness. In verses 6 and 7, he writes, Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so, you see, those who believe are descendants of Abraham. In other words, those who believe also have this credited to them as righteousness. Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 15 where Abraham believes God when God promises him that he's going to give he and Sarah a son, even though they're super old. And that through this son, all the people of the earth would be blessed. This, by the way, is the plan that God had after the flood. This is the plan of the rescuer that Robin has already talked to us about. So Abraham believes God. Abraham believes in God's plan. He believes that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Abraham believes that God can do the impossible. He could even fix his air conditioning in the middle of the Mojave Desert. This word righteousness is the same word that we explored last week, the, the word justified. It's the same word. It's translated differently sometimes. Basically, what this word means is that we have been given a right relationship with God. We have been made right with God. We have right relatedness to him. And that right relatedness to God changes everything. It colors everything. Let me give you an example that maybe just begins to hint at how a right relationship with God changes everything. It comes from my experience of marriage, and maybe those of you who are married can attest to this. I've noticed since being married that I could be bombarded by awful circumstances. I could have super difficult things happen to me. Life could be going not my way, but if my relationship with Krista is on good terms, if we are doing well, then the net sum of life is good is positive because my relationship with Krista is good. But on the other hand, I could have all sorts of reasons to rejoice, having tons of good things happening to me. Life is going my way. Everything is awesome. But if my relationship with Krista is in the dumps, if we are not doing particularly well, then the net sum of that is negative. It seems like life just isn't all that great. Right relatedness 
colors everything. It changes everything. And if I can say, if, if that's true about me and my wife, how much more is that true than with me and my Lord? And it's this right relatedness that the gospel offers. Paul is appealing to people who have a Jewish background. That's why he appeals to the story of Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. He's saying to the Christians in Galatia who have a Jewish background, he's saying, look, even Abraham, our father in the faith, even he was not justified or made right or given right relationship with God because of his obedience. No, he was made right with God because he believed God's promises. And it's the same for you. It's the same with you. So the gospel offers us right relatedness with the cosmic Lord of the universe. And the very presence of this same cosmic Lord is within you. That's the second offer of this twofold blessing of the gospel. That the cosmic Lord of the universe, I use those words on purpose, big, giant, cosmic, the Lord of the universe has come and set up his dwelling place in your hearts through faith. Dwelling within you, not beside you, within you. And as someone has said, you can't get any closer than in. God is close to us. Paul says in verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? It's a rhetorical question. Just as righteousness can't be obtained through obeying the law, neither does the gift of the Holy Spirit come as a response to keeping the law perfectly, as if anyone could keep the law perfectly. And the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like a foretaste of eternity. What's eternity going to be like? I don't know. But I do know that we will be perfect like Jesus Christ. That we will be face to face with the living God. And that we will be in creation that is finally all God created it to be. Glorious, peaceful, just, beautiful, free, and good. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us gives us a kind of foretaste of that eternity by empowering us to begin this process of transformation, to become more like Jesus Christ, to become more like the women and men God has created us to be, and by giving us the gift of God's presence within us. You might say that the Spirit is kind of like an appetizer for the gourmet meal that will follow. The gospel offers us the very indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel, gospel offers us right relatedness with this cosmic Lord, Yahweh himself. But does it require anything of us? Does the gospel require anything of us? And that's our third question. It's natural to ask this question because this is how our economy works. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So what do I owe you? The short answer is nothing. 
The short answer to the question, what does the gospel require of us, is nothing. If we can grasp the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, that on the cross Jesus did everything necessary for our justification, then we will realize that the only thing required of us is simply to receive the gift. To receive the gift. You see, to add good works as a requirement to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is an offense to the completed work of Jesus. And that's why Paul says in verse 21 of Galatians 2, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If we add good works to the equation, then the reality is Jesus Christ died for nothing. Now, many of us find this really difficult to receive, to receive gifts. But does it make you feel a little uncomfortable sometimes, for example, to be on the receiving end of someone's generosity? Maybe, uh, maybe they buy your meal. Maybe that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like, no, no, please let me buy. Like, no, you don't have to buy me lunch. No, I feel uncomfortable about that. You're just going to buy me free lunch. There's no such thing as a free lunch. What do I owe you? Or maybe someone drives you to a doctor's appointment. You know, and deep down, you sort of feel that m maybe somehow you must pay that person back. Or somebody helps you move or somebody sends you an unexpected birthday gift. Sometimes, for some of us, it's difficult to be on the receiving end of generosity. Because perhaps we believe we don't deserve it. Maybe that generosity should be directed towards someone else who deserves it more than I do. Someone who has earned it. But here is the bottom line. God's economy is funded by Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. God's economy is funded by Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. His crucifixion purchases grace for the undeserving, forgiveness for the sinner, and freedom for the captive. I hope that you're beginning to remember those three things now, because I say it several times every, every week. Jesus has purchased for us grace for the undeserving, forgiveness for the sinner, and freedom for the captive. And in our believing, we receive the gift. Does the gospel require anything of us? The short answer is no. Nothing. Now, I suppose we could get sort of technical and we could think this through a little bit more. And if the gospel is a gift, which it is, it's a gift given to us by the living God, maybe what is required of us is to open the gift. Because if someone gives you a birthday gift or a Thanksgiving gift or a St. Patty Day's gift or whatever you get gifts for, if someone gives you a gift, I suppose you, you do actually have to receive it, 
I mean, that is, I guess, a requirement, right? You, you have to accept it. You have to receive it. You could reject it. You could say no. You could say no, thank you. If the gift is wrapped, you could refuse to unwrap it. So I guess that we could say, well, what is required of us? To receive the gift. To unwrap the gift. Peter, do you believe that God could actually fix your air conditioning? Do you you trust that God could do this? Do you have faith in the God of the universe? Friends, the invitation for us today is to open the gift, to receive the gift, to believe in the promises of God to believe in the price paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. God's economy is funded by Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, don't want to be foolish like the Galatians were. But it is so easy to believe the way that the world believes, to adopt the world's wisdom and to live in accordance with the world's economy. Every message we receive tells us that there's no such thing as a free lunch, that you get what you deserve and what comes around goes around. And that is sort of how the world works. But that's not how you work. So Jesus, give us the gift of faith to trust you that we might live in reference to your economy, that we might live in reference to your good news, that we might live in reference to Jesus Christ crucified, having become a curse, taking upon himself the curse that belonged upon us, Jesus, help us to live in reference to you as the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who in your death demonstrates that you are the Lamb and the Lion. That you are victorious. The death's sting could not keep you down. Help us to live in reference to you. Grant us faith. So that when friends like Jim ask us, do you suppose it's possible that God would be kind and gracious in this circumstance? We might do a better job than I did and say, yes. Yes, I do. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Fill us. We pray in your name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, remember. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at 